Philippians chapter number 4. Two verses, 8 and 9. And I don't know, we could read maybe more than that. Here Paul showing that he is truly a preacher. <coughs> By the first two words he says here. Finally, brethren, and then he goes on to do a whole other chapter. You can find this again in chapter 3, where he starts off that chapter. Finally, my brethren, and he writes two other whole chapters. Preachers have been doing this in conclusion stuff for a long time. And in conclusion, and like the little boy asked his dad, Dad, what's in conclusion mean? And the dad said, coming from that guy, it don't mean nothing. So we'll try not to, uh, we'll try not to do, do you that way. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let me continue on. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, whereof you were also careful, but you lack the opportunity. Now that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, even in Illinois, to be content. These Philippians were some kind of good people because it says in verse 15, Paul said, no other church was willing to give me an offering to keep this ministry going except the church at Philippi. So they had a very giving heart and I believe God blessed them immensely for that. The message today is you got to get your mind right. Who's ever heard that term before? If you've watched one of the greatest movies of all time, you've heard this term, Cool Hand Luke. How many remembers the, what the warden's name was? Strother Martin. Strother Martin. Luke, you got to get your mind right. That's what I say to the church today, including myself. Church, we got to get our mind right. Got to get our mind right. Father, we pray, God, for your anointing. And Lord, we know that you, through your Holy Spirit, will do the heavy lifting in this service today. And God, we're believing that people will be helped from this. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Last week, I was in Walmart. There's a way to start out a message right there. <laughs> I had one item. Now, here is me getting on my, here's me getting on my soapbox. What good is it to have 24 checkout stations if you're only going to have four cashiers? What good's that? What good's that? That makes no sense. Who are you trying to impress? And if you don't put people behind that and in front of them cashiers be able to do the job. And I don't know, I'm cursed when it comes to Walmart. I cannot, and I'm a fast kind of guy, and I'm a guy that knows how to look 
to be able to go work things to my advantage, to be able to get in front or whatever. But it never works out that way at Walmart. Inevitably, I'm behind somebody with a whole mound, with a cart. And I walk up behind this gal. I've got one item, and I said, I might as well go ahead. And I said, ma'am, I've got one item. And she says, I'm in a hurry, too. I've got a meeting to go to. <laughs> oh, a meeting. And I could never play poker for a living because you always know what I'm thinking. And I let my feelings be known by me every now and then huffing and puffing and <laughs> leaning up against the belt deal, you know, as it's going. And I'm looking at her stuff and looking at her and looking at the cashier. And I don't know. It took a long time. And... And then, of course, they've got a story, her and the cashier, to talk about. And it's like, you know, hurry, you got a meeting, you know, you got to get to. And she finally bags up her last item and gets it in the cart. And within earshot, because I wasn't going to let her get out of there, and I said to the cashier, ma'am, here I am with my one item. And she kind of went like that, the woman with her cart. And I'm thinking, yeah, lady, come on, say something, <laughs> say something. <sighs> All right, here's what happened. The rest of the day, it ruined my day because I'm thinking I would never do that. I wouldn't. If I was the person with the whole cartload of stuff and one person and they had the, you know, the gumption to go ahead and ask me, hey, can I, I would, yes. Matter of fact, there's been times that when I've had five or six items and there's been somebody behind me with one, I said, hey, go ahead and go on. I would never do somebody that way. Huh, well, you know, you're not the only one in a hurry. I've got a meeting to go to as well. And finally, the next day, here was the words. Preacher, you got to get your mind right. You got to get your mind right. And that really, it overflows into everything, basically every day of our life. And it's a choice that we're going to make whether or not we're going to get our mind right or not. In verse 4 of this same chapter, it talks about rejoicing in the Lord. And I think there's two things that I see in this chapter. One, you know, whatsoever things are just and holy and pure, you got to get your mind right. Number two, you've got to lose yourself in something bigger than yourself. If you're wrapped up in yourself, you make for a mighty small package. Lose yourself in something bigger than yourself. You've heard me say it a dozen times. The spreading of the gospel message is the greatest thing on the planet. It's greater than General Motors. It's greater than IBM. It's greater than Apple Computers. It's greater than Ford Motor Company. It's the greatest thing on the planet. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. Two philosophies. Man grows better as he grows older. Other philosophy, the heart grows harder with age. Which one's true? I think they're both true. 
What choice are you going to make? Two men behind prison bars. One looks and sees mud. The other looks and sees stars. What direction are you going to look? Every spiritual shipwreck that I have ever known, you can mark it down, their thinking became unholy. They started thinking about themselves and not of other ones and other things. Whatsoever things are true, are honest, are just, are pure, are lovely, are good report. But you've got to look at the other side of that. There are people that can say, I'm going to look at things that are untrue, that are dishonest, that are unjust, that are impure, that are unlovely, that are of a bad report. I worked at a guy... His view of everything was so clouded with just, just any type of sin and any type of garbage. There was like it was not a holy thought that ever entered that guy's mind. And no matter what somebody was talking about, he could always turn it around to the vileness of a person. Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's right. Jerusalem 51, or uh, Jeremiah 51 says, let Jerusalem come into your mind. Romans 14, let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. 1 Peter 1, gird up the loins of your mind. The mind is the blueprint for the rest of the building. The mind is the huddle where the plays are called. As a man thinks in his mind, so is he. It doesn't say, as a man does with his hands, so is he. As a man walks with his feet, so is he. Or as a man looks with his eyes, so is he. No, as a man thinks in his mind, so is he. It was an awful thing what Achan did in the Old Testament to where he saw that Babylonian garment and that wedge of silver. He saw those things and he coveted them and he took them and he hid them under the floor of his tent. And God told the great general Joshua, there is sin in the camp. And Joshua said, I don't know who it is. And God said, I will reveal it. And one by one of all the tribes, they marched before Joshua. And as God's grace is so great, God allowed that man Achan, his tribe, to be mentioned at last. The guy's in line for probably a day. He could have repented at any time. And it's getting closer and closer as he's filing through the line, getting closer to Joshua. And now it gets to the tribe that he's in, the last tribe. And now it gets to where it's now the last family of that tribe. And now he is the last person in the family. And he still hasn't repented. And he gets before Joshua, and Joshua said, you are the creep that stole this. 
And Achan and his family paid with their life. See, here's the message with this. God's saying, I'm going to provide for you. You just got to have some faith. Israel will get into the promised land and will conquer not eight cities, not nine cities. They will conquer ten major cities. The first city, God said, belongs to me. Just like the tithe. How many cities? Ten. The first one belongs to God. He said, don't anybody pick anything up? That belongs to me. What was going on is after all the battle was won and the, and the armies would leave, the tribe of Levi would show up and they would take all the spoils of the war and that would be dedicated and given over to the advancement and the fulfillment of the tribe of Levi and while they worked spiritually in the lives of Israel. God said that don't belong to anybody else. But Achan stole it. He stole it. That was an awful thing. That was an awful thing. It was an awful thing for King Saul to look at David and try to kill that man. And you've heard me say this again, and I read through the whole story, and this is what pierces my heart. This one incident to where they come back from David having killed Goliath. As far as we know, it's the first person he ever killed. And he comes back, and he's in Jerusalem, and the women and the children are singing a song that they've already written. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul looked at David with jealousy in his heart. I will kill that man. You know what? The whole thing could have turned on a dime if King Saul would have joined right in the singing and right in the dancing, and right in the revelry, and not had an ounce of jealousy in his heart, but instead he wanted to kill that man. It was an awful thing that King David did in wanting the wife of another man, and him plotting to have that man killed so he could subdue that man's wife. And God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan and Nathan told the parable of the man that had a lot of sheep and another man that had one little lamb. And the man with a lot of sheep had travelers coming in and he needed to have a feast and he went to the man with the lone sheep and took his sheep and killed it and fed the traveler. And King David heard that story and David said, the man that done that will pay fourfold. And Nathan looked at him and said, David, you're the evil guy that did that. You had the many wives and Uriah had the one. And immediately David's heart is, is, is uh, uh, melted within him and he says, I have sinned. You know, it's an amazing thing. In that whole story, a word jumped out at me years ago in reading that. And it was the traveler. The man had a traveler that came to his house. And he needed to feed. Beware of that traveling thought that will come into your mind. Beware of that that will try to penetrate your thinking. 
And you know what? I don't care if it's Billy Graham. Billy Graham has thoughts that he should not have. It's human nature. It's what the devil tries to trip us up in. But the old adage is so right. I can't keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can darn sure keep a bird from building a nest on top of my head. And David should have dealt with that traveling thought, but he did not. It was an awful thing that Elimelech and Naomi did when they left the promised land for the country of Moab because they were discontent. What was it Shakespeare said? Now is the winter of our discontent. Not having faith in God to provide. It's an awful thing that John Mark did when he left Paul, the preacher to the Gentiles, and he left and went back home because he was fearful. Fear, discontentment, lust, jealousy, greed, all of these started in the mind. Beware of having stinking thinking. Beware. It was a great thing that Joseph did in forgiving his brothers when they plotted for his death and instead of vengefully, when it was his power to do so, he was second only to Pharaoh. He could have had his brothers killed. It was a wonderful thing that he did when he forgave them. When he forgave them. It was a great thing that Nehemiah did when God put it in his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and he saw it in his mind and it was a vision that he had and he said, I will go and do that. Let me tell you something I thought recently. I can go faster alone. Ladies, it's far easier for you to make that meal than it is for you to show your kids how to cook the meal, isn't it? but it's more beneficial for them to know how to cook that meal. I can go faster alone, but I can go further together. I see that in the old groups. I see that in the old groups. We can go further linked together. We can go further having that bond one with another. It was a great thing that Rahab did when she protected the spies, and Rahab believed God and her faith made her worthy. It was a great thing that the woman with the alabaster box did when she broke it and she poured it upon the Lord Jesus in an act of praise. It was a great thing that the woman with two mites did that day 2,000 years ago when she gave her two mites. And in doing that, Jesus said, preach that preach that sermon, what that woman did around the world because she gave not just two mites, she gave all that she had. Generosity, praise, faith, vision, forgiveness, all of these started in the mind. Luke, you got to get your mind right got to get your mind right. We got to get our mind right. If you're here today, literally, you need to get your mind right. I'm going to read you a scripture, Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, go there. Ephesians, right before Philippians. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This is a great, 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 great verse. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Let's, let's use this right here. We're going to call this faith right here. We're going to call this faith. God expects, demands faith from every person that comes to him. Mark Miller, come this way. And this is what now? Faith. This is what God does. Not only does he demand faith, he then, the Bible says, gives us the faith. The very thing he's demanding of us, he gives it to us so that we have to be able to say, God, I have faith to believe in you. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, take it. Take it. It's yours. You been here before? <laughs> See, we don't go to heaven because we're a good person or because we take communion or because it's Ash Wednesday or Monday Thursday or Good Friday or because you even go to church. No, God, just like he says here in his word, for by grace are you saved through faith. And listen, and that, the faith, is not of yourselves. Even the faith is the gift of God. God said, I want you to be saved. It takes faith. Here is the faith so that you can be saved. I'm there. I got to read it. Not of works, lest any man should boast. See, it's not of, well, I built up my own faith. No, God gave him the faith. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we walk in them good works. God requires faith, and then he gives us the faith. Uh, you may have never heard this before. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. It says, God said to Cain, sin, because he killed his brother, he said, sin lies at the door. If you look that up in the Hebrew, it says, a sin offering lies at your door. God is saying you killed your brother. Despicable, horrible thing to do. You need to make a sacrifice for that to be covered. And then God says, go back home. There's a sin offering laying at your door. God saw to it that there was a lamb laying at that man's door. God said, you should offer a sin offering for that to be covered. And then God says, I'll give it to you. The same way he does with faith. Thank God. I'm telling you, this being saved is a great deal. God's done it all. All we got to do is say, I want that. I want that. That's all we got to do. Price has been paid. For obedience, God requires good works, and then he gives us the good works to do. Thank God. Thank God. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren, God requires us to go and tell the others. 
but there's good news. God will prepare the person before we ever get there. Years back, I was asked to go visit a woman, and me and Willie Taylor went to visit her. And all the way over to Mount Vernon, Willie's saying, Mark, this ain't going to be good. This ain't going to work. This is not going to be good. This woman, she's mean. She, this is not going to be good. This is, and I said, oh, Willie, where's your face? Can't be that bad. We went in and talked to that woman, and I'm telling you, she was breathing fire. And by the time we, we didn't wasn't there long, and it was like, preacher, get out of here and don't let the door hit you. <laughs> we got in the truck, headed back toward Wayne County, and I told Willie, that didn't go very good. <laughs> he goes, see, I told you, I told you it wasn't going to go very good. And you said, well, God didn't prepare that woman. Oh, I think he did. Otherwise, I think she would have shot me. <laughs> yeah. I think he did prepare her. I think he did. God requires his people to bear burdens. And then he says, cast your burden upon me. Again, this is a great deal. The very thing God requires, God will help us with. God requires us to pay a tithe, a 10%. And then provides us with the strength to have a job. My God shall supply all my needs. It doesn't say God will fulfill all my needs. That's my part. But he will supply. You can't go home and lay on the couch and eat bonbons and expect God to bring all these needs to your door and all these things to provide for those needs. Years ago, George Thomason was with me, and we was in another church, and the pastor of that church, he said, uh, and boy, he was long in the face about it. He said, man, you, people got to pray. You got to pray for my son to get a job. And we left there, and, and I didn't know that pastor very well, and I didn't know his son. Well, George grew up with him, and he said, what the man needs to be praying is for his son to fill out an application. <laughs> he won't fill out an application. God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, and offer him as a sacrifice. Listen to this. Abraham had another son. You realize that. But God was looking at this through the son of promise. Take your son, your only son, the son of promise. God required that of Abraham, and then, before he got up to the top of the mountain, I believe every step that Abraham took up that mountain, on the other side of that mountain, there's a ram that's taking the same steps. And when Abraham stops and rests, I think that ram stops and rests. And when Abraham takes a few more steps up the side of the mountain, that ram takes a few more steps up the mountain. And then when he gets up to the top of the mountain, and it's time for Isaac to be laid upon the altar, and he does this as a full-grown man. He could have forcefully stopped his dad from doing this, but in obedience he did not, just like God's son. I heard a comedian say one time that from that day on, Isaac wore a T-shirt that said, I survived the camping trip with dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
God required that and then gave what he required. Gave the ram. And for us, he provided the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his own, let's all say that together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave and he provided that gift. Bow your heads, please. Lord, what you required, you provided. And thank God, thank God, thank God. And Lord, if there are people here that they've never asked Jesus to be their Savior, Lord, it's time for that to happen. Thank God for your mercy. Your mercy, the Bible said, endures forever. But Lord, life is fragile. Life is fragile. And how terrible it would be to be a part of this church service or any church service and have an opportunity so willingly just bestowed upon us and not to accept Jesus as Savior. What a tragedy that would be. And God, you've given people an opportunity here this day for them to respond. Lord, you've given, you require faith. You give us the faith. You require the sacrifice. You gave the sacrifice. And all I've got to be is a whosoever will. And I believe in that. For someone here this morning, that they want that to become reality in their life, I'm going to challenge you to walk forward and make that known publicly that you want Jesus as your Savior, and that will happen. That will happen. A, 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 a particular song does not have to be played. A particular sermon does not have to be preached. A particular prayer does not have to be prayed. For you to do that, all you've got to say is, yes, that's for me today. That's for me today. I want God's forgiveness and grace in my life. I want that. I don't have to pray a flowery prayer for that to happen. Nothing of the sort. What God has required, God has provided. God let people get their mind right today. Let them say yes to you. In your name we're praying. Amen. Where would I be?
that saved a wretch like me. Sing it with us. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shine. Oh, and the sun, we've no less days to sing your praise than when we first. Glad you see through eyes of love, a hopeless case, an empty place, if not for grace, where would I If not for grace, amazing grace, oh, how sweet the sound, I once was lost, yes, Lord, but now I'm found, hopeless case, and empty place, if not It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, 
please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677.